Hey friends, welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. This is Kara, and normally I would say that I was your host and salonier. However, today is a Bass Ackwards show, and after a few years of doing this podcast, I've gotten the request a lot to be answering questions instead of asking questions. I love asking questions, so it took me a long time to get around to this, but Kelly Lingard, who you met in episodes 30 and 56 and 57, who is a friend and a mentor and just an all-around wonderful person, has nudged this episode. So I thought it would be fitting for her to be the one asking questions. So today's host is Kelly Lingard, and I will be on the hot seat. This was a deeply personal conversation. Today I offer you a window into what life has looked like for me in the past few years and answer some questions about it. And I do this in the hopes that you can find some lessons or comfort. So voila, here's the conversation. Why, hello, Kara Martin-Snyder. How are you? Well, hello, Kelly Lingard. This is super weird. Us sitting dead on face-to-face in my living room with a bunch of mics. Welcome to the Levital Core Salon podcast. (laughs) How does it feel to be your own subject? A little terrifying. For those of you who listen to the podcast, I give my guests some sample questions that I thought were interesting or that you all might think are interesting usually about 48 hours in advance. So enough time to sort of gather some thoughts, but not so much time that people can script themselves. And I got Kelly's questions a few hours ago. So I've only had time to like read through them once or twice. Pro and I knew how quickly you could script an answer. I almost didn't give them to you at all. So (laughs) (laughs) So we were at dinner a few months ago. And I threw out the idea that I thought it would be interesting to your listeners to hear you interviewed on your podcast. I always thought that it would be interesting. And so I volunteered myself for the job because, you know, (laughs) might as well get it done. (laughs) And you bravely said yes. So thank you. I think this is going to be a delightful conversation. I admire you so much. I love the work that you do. I'm jealous of all the conversations that you have gotten to have with amazing people. I'm grateful that I got to be one of those people. And I know that you and I don't get to spend a ton of time together. But whenever we do, I feel like you're a long lost sister to me. And I'm so grateful for your friendship in my life. And I'm honored to be the one to be in this chair today interviewing you. So Kelly is going to make me cry to start because I feel like it's only been a couple of years since I have had this amazing woman fall into my life. And you are a sister, a friend, a mentor, a sponsor. You scare the hell out of me with your questions (laughs) some days. Uh, So yeah, I am buckled in. Come at me, Kelly. All right, good. Well, let's start with a really good one then. I am curious. You are of small stature. If people haven't met you, do you hate the word petite? I know some people really hate that word. No. How tall are you? I am 4'11". Okay. I won't make you say how much your weight, but (laughs) suffice it to say, she's a very tiny gal. (laughs) You are also a very powerful woman, but it never seems contrived. It always seems very natural. And I'm curious, is that something that you have had to fight for to overcome the fact that you're generally looking up at people? Um, are you even conscious of that? And how do you pack elegantly 
so much power into such a tiny little package. By the way, by power, I mean <laughs> your influence on people, your influence on the world, your ability to generate the tone of a room in a way that leads. So tell me about that. Whew. Well, this is a huge question for such a small little lady. <laughs> um, for those of you listening, uh, my pet name from my husband, Craig, is actually Little Lady, or sometimes LL Cool K, Little Lady Cool Kara. <laughs> so, so I've always known I'm small. I always have been the smallest one. Most of my girlfriends growing up are all 5'8", to I have one friend who says she's 5'12". And I guess like I've just been used to being the littlest one. But in terms of the the power side of the question... I rarely think of myself as powerful. And it's it's interesting because the feedback I've gotten all my life is I get force of nature a lot mm-hmm. or that, that I can change the air mm-hmm. or the energy when I yep. come into a room. Yep. I don't know if I'm consciously aware of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I do know over the years I've been really consciously aware of when I'm too much for people. Um, that's something that I tend to be really sensitive to because I don't want to diminish other people being seen when I come into a place. And I, I feel that happens sometimes. So I find I am constantly trying to dial it back. Like if I spend my energy on anything, it's not pumping myself up it's actually the opposite like how can I deflate Mm. some of this energy or let it out or make it more dilute or spread it around the room differently Mm -hmm. because I feel like there have been a lot of times historically that you know I've just been told you're too much Mm. sometimes was that a message in your adult life or is that maybe something you've lived with your whole life you think I think it's probably existed my whole life I don't know if if I got that feedback when I was younger necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I just knew I could pull people's attention really quick. And I, Mm -hmm. I think at some point I felt like this doesn't feel good or this feels like I'm manipulating a situation in a a negative way. And I've really tried to be sensitive to that. Hmm. I I still struggle with that a lot, to be honest. I've thought about that topic a fair amount. There's a book that I like called Captivating, and it talks about the message that we get as women, particularly as children, one of two ways. You're either too much or you're not enough. And how when that can be embedded in us as a child, that's the only message we'll hear for the rest of our lives because we're looking for that. We're looking for that message to repeat because we believed that it was true. And so we're looking for that affirmation of, yep, the validation of, yep, I am too much. Yep, I am. I need to tone it down. But I I have never felt that way around you at all. And I don't think it's because you're successfully toning yourself down. (laughs) I think it's because when you live into that, you are just a delight to be around because you're clearly living in your full self and you feel so comfortable that it makes other people comfortable. I think it's, I'm always still myself. It's more of volume moderation, mm. right? Like not just how loud I'm being right. or, you know, how I'm, I'm, when my hands get going, I can be really like kinesthetic, like I'm moving right. around and I'm gesturing and things like that. 
I think it's, it's just, how do I take that volume down? Especially like depending on the room, like I feel like I can feel it really quickly. Like if I walk into a room where there's a lot of introverts, for example, Mm -hmm. I know that the attention is going to be on me. Right. And there could be some really interesting people that have things to say around me mm-hmm. that would get lost mm-hmm. just if people were watching, I don't know, me be my loopy self. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I think that's what makes you so incredible is that you have that powerhouse personality, but it's paired with such a generous spirit that is even aware about what might happen when you sort of live it out to its full extent. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I never thought of, thank you for the compliment, by the way. That really makes you a beautiful person. I love that about you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for being that way and teaching the rest of us. Oh my God, this is really (laughs) going to be the Kara show. (laughs) (laughs) So is that tiring to feel like you have to tone that down or to even be um, cognizant of that? Like to be on alert for that all the time. Is that an exhausting thing to you? Yes. Hmm. I think for a long time, I thought I was more introverted. Mm Mm-hmm than I am because I would feel toasted like after, especially after a larger gathering, right? If like you put me in a room where it's just four people having dinner or six people having dinner and I am one degree of separation and can make eye contact with everyone. Those are usually my more enjoyable things or one-on-one conversations. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the, the number of people in a room goes up, Mm -hmm. I feel like my battery drains faster and faster. That's an inverse relationship for me. And so for a long time, I was like, God, I go to social events. And sometimes I feel like super excited because like I'm around people and especially like working for myself for the past decade and working mostly at home Mm -hmm. and like with people remotely, like it's been a weird juggling act over the last 10 years. And I feel like I was like, am I, am I introverted? Maybe I'm, I I thought. And then I went back to like a bunch of personality tests that I've taken. I'm actually 55% extrovert and 45% introvert. So I'm pretty split. I can go Mm -hmm. both ways, but I noticed when I'm at bigger events where there's more going on Mm -hmm. or a lot of unspoken stuff, my battery, I'll come, there, there are times like where Craig and I have gone to events in the city and it's like, we're not even in the Holland tunnel yet. And, or we're not even out of the city and I'm already asleep in like the passenger <laughs> seat. Hmm. My husband and I are both, I'm just like you, mostly an extrovert, but quite a bit of an introvert, pretty balanced for my husband as well. And generally when we come home from a big event or a big vacation with family, it's like we go to opposite ends of the house for a while. Just kind of let things settle find ourselves again in our introvert world and then everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. But you gotta I, let I, that battery go back up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Cause I think how I'm operating most of the time and especially as a coach, I'm always dual tracking. Mm-hmm. It's always, what am I hearing? What am I not hearing? Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's all the nonverbal stuff that goes on, but there's also just contextually, like what are people saying Mm -hmm. what are they not saying and and I found as a coach asking the questions about the stuff that people are not saying Mm -hmm. is usually where the good stuff Mm -hmm. lives it's like trying to listen to two melodies or more at the same time yeah yeah so I mean I think especially like like post-concussion I mean I've had two in five years the periods like 
after that, like Mm -hmm. neuro fatigue is real. It took me a long time because I don't think I realized like how much I'm processing Mm -hmm. two tracks constantly. Right. Talk a little bit more about that neuro fatigue. We had a conversation about that. I don't know six weeks ago or something. I just found that an interesting topic. I don't know that I had heard that word before you used it specific to really just your mind being tired, not the tiredness of, Oh, I'm doing a million things, but the neuro fatigue of just overuse of the systems just running on either high drive and taking in too much information or physical damage from a concussion causing the need for those systems to be slowed down for a period of time. So can you, first of all, educate us on a little bit about what that means and how have you learned to harness the knowledge of that and maybe be healthier in your own life, knowing that you have the tendency to be taking in vast amounts of information and being a reformed workaholic. So like being a reformed workaholic. So that, that combined. (laughs) So I'm definitely not a concussion expert unless you consider the anecdotal experience. So had a a first concussion, I think it was around 2011, 2012 Mm -hmm. and just slipped on black ice and really got pretty rocked for about a month or so. And then back this fall fell down the stairs. And once you have a concussion once, especially as a woman, so basically women get concussions more frequently than men we experience the symptoms more intensely they're finding than men and we experience the symptoms for longer than men and for me the biggest symptom that lasted for probably close to five or six weeks and i mean maybe even on a less noticeable track a little bit longer was this idea of neuro fatigue where you're just tired because your brain is tired Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that a lot of us experience that on the regular. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about a day where you've been working on a project and you're doing a lot of ideation, a lot of creation, a lot of problem solving, a lot of connecting of dots or a lot of critical thinking around things. And you're just kind of wiped out. And it's not because, you know, you went on a five mile run. You were just sitting at your desk, but you're you're wiped out Mm -hmm. post concussion. It's that same kind of feeling except, you know, it would be at a, at a more ridiculous degree. So like I was finding this time the post-concussion stuff manifested as a lot of headaches Mm -hmm. and mostly headaches in the left quadrant of my face or waves of nausea. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'd be a little of both. Sometimes it'd be one or the other, but it was usually born out of my brain would hit a point that there was just too much stimulation and I would either get the headache or nausea and then Mm -hmm. it would usually be followed by the fatigue. Mm -hmm. And when I say stimulation, I mean, in the the week or two after the concussion, that might be, I looked at my phone and responded to a couple of text messages and that would be enough to send me into no man's land Mm -hmm. and just being exhausted. Or, you know, I'd put on sunglasses and try to watch like, you know, just even like a, a, I think an episode of Queer Eye. I think Mm -hmm. I rewatched, tried to rewatch the season just to have some like positive stuff and feel good stuff. Mm -hmm. Seeing I couldn't really be getting any work done on screens and that might result in a two hour nap. Mm -hmm. And when I say nap, it was like death slumber. (laughs) 
the best kind. <laughs> it's a level of fatigue and like the sleep was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I not that I would wish a concussion on anybody, but like for anyone who's got problems sleeping, like yeah. that would be that would be the injury to go for. <laughs> I don't think we want to encourage anyone to go for any injuries, (laughs) but it does bring up, you mentioned, um, a run and you know, I'm a runner myself and I, I'm drawing a parallel of, I don't do a long run every single day because I know the recovery time from a long run is longer than your normal everyday run. And so naturally you want to build in rest periods. And now I'm curious how you might tie everything that you learn on that topic back to, your coaching work that you've done in the past with women. Do you think that professional women, adult women, maybe in general are living with neuro exhaustion all the time? Neuro fatigue. Wow. This is a great question. I feel like one that I've never really put through the paces, but yeah, I mean, I would imagine that a lot of us are feeling that men included mm-hmm. where we're just trying to output so much all of the time that, that there is a level of exhaustion that's probably generated from that. I mean, the thing that I would say that I, I probably saw the most that was unexpected in, in terms of the coaching. So, I mean, I was always looking at five areas with my clients. It was diet rest, exercise, stress management, and social relationships. And I feel like the stress management category is... Hang on while I take notes so I can get a free coaching session <laughs> while we're doing this. <laughs> no, 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 my motivation. <laughs> Kelly was just in it for this session, folks. But yeah, I think what surprised me in, you know the better part of a decade of all of these private conversations, if I sit back and obviously this is anecdotal and I, I, I wasn't keeping fastidious study measures and, and doing any sort of statistical analysis on this, but the stress management piece was always interesting. The rest piece, mm-hmm. like I think those are tied together. I mean, all five of these pieces really are overlapping and shifting and moving on a day-to-day basis for people. But the social isolation I thought was really pervasive and a big drain of people's energy mm-hmm. that I didn't expect was going to come up so much hmm. in terms of the work. I was really surprised if I kind of look back at all the conversations as a whole, how many people have people in their lives, but don't have people in their lives that they feel like they can talk to in a substantive way. So they were hiring me. Hmm. Right. And I I mean, I think sometimes I wasn't practicing as a therapist, but I would say what people were getting from the sessions was just having that kind of unbiased space, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like I always looked at what I did, like, Working with a therapist is kind of like where you are and often unpacking things in in the past or moving mm-hmm. backwards to move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I was always working with people more like meeting them where they're at and the work was more prospective. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I'm, I want to go two different ways there. The first is we were talking about just that fatigue of the hard work and the demands of 
being an adult woman in the world today. Um, so I guess the first question I want to follow up with that on is I know that you are, I don't want to say highly regimented, but you do have a lot of processes that you have harnessed to make your life easier. So it's not the discipline of the process that you're motivated by for sake of process, but you really take advantage of process so that you can free up limited energy that you do have for other things. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the processes and structures that you have in your own life um, that you have offloaded personal effort onto the process and things that you have given to your clients that they can use in their own lives too? Kelly's hitting me with the heavy questions. Um, oh, one quick note before I, before I go back. I think there's a book if people were interested in just kind of like how much women have on their plates and someone who's really done a monumental amount of research in this area, um, especially around time study and how that relates and how women are using time is overwhelmed by Mm. Bridget Schulte. I think it's pronounced. This is the problem being a learner who learns by reading Mm. is then when I try to talk about it, I sound like a complete fucking ignoramus because I can't pronounce either like half the words or the author's name. But anyways, that was a side note to kind of cross that, that loop off the list. Let's come back to the other questions. Is there a, a place you want me to dive in? first? Yeah. Take us through your day. So, so uh, (laughs) let me first give you an example. Whenever you communicate with me or when, when you have communicated with me as a podcast guest, the process was phenomenal. Um, the process itself was very hospitable and it took the burden off of me as an interviewee to focus on what I wanted to communicate to the audience instead of thinking about the scheduling or the questions or the, setting up my microphone on my computer. But a lot of that was clearly automated. Some reminders were automated. Some calendaring was automated. How do you use technology to organize yourself? That's fundamentally the question. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think it was funny because as I was thinking about how I would answer this, I was like, I think we'll end up touching all the things I use like as we go through the day. So I sleep with my phone near my bed, usually in airport airplane mode mm-hmm. yeah airport mode airplane, <laughs> airplane mode, mode. <laughs> like, what is that? yeah let's see i usually get up around 7 20 i hit snooze and i get up at around 7 30 that gives me 10 minutes to just kind of be in that like half conscious sort of funky state and for the last seven or eight months i track my temperature my basal body temperature every day and i load it into an app called natural cycles so that's usually For the first 10 minutes of my day, it's taking my temperature and just being in the dream state a little bit. And then it's usually up and downstairs and the pre-breakfast supplements of probiotics and, and that kind of stuff. And then usually it's meditate, 20 minutes. And there are some days that I decide that Oh, I don't need 20 minutes or I've got a lot of stuff to do and I should really just get moving with the day. And I forget, I think the quote was Russell Simmons talking about if you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, Mm -hmm. you probably need an hour or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so 20 minutes is, is pretty much my, my standard most mornings. You know, there are some times that maybe I woke up during the night and 
I meditated a little bit earlier just because I couldn't sleep or whatnot. So I may just leave it alone. But I would say 95% of the time, that's what the start of my day looks like. Mm-hmm. And then it's usually have some breakfast, which Craig often makes breakfast, which there I'm go, a Craig. really, really, really lucky lady. That Let's breakfast. have a podcast for the men on why making <laughs> breakfast for your wife is such a lifesaver. <laughs> it really is. It's so great. It's such a treat because I can meditate and then a lot of times breakfast is ready. And... um Usually I look at what I'm going to prioritize or what I need to get done the night before. So Mm -hmm. as I'm wrapping up one day, I usually, when I wake up, already have a good sense of at least the first one or two things that really require some focus. Mm -hmm. And I would say I always try to do the harder thinking stuff earlier in the day just because I'm fresher. How are you tracking what you need to do? Oh, I use Remember the Milk. I've been using that for years, which it's very similar to like Wonderlist or anything like that. But it has, I have it set up, I think I have a blog post somewhere too. It really hasn't changed the methodology. But I pretty much have a Kara list. There's a household list that I share with Craig. There's Vital Core list, obviously. The podcast list has so many picky tasks that that's kind of its own thing at this point. And there's tagging. I can assign dates to things. I can also assign priorities and I can assign locations. Mm -hmm. So if there are things that I think about that, oh, next time I'm in New York, I should try to connect with this person. I can tag it, for example, for New York. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I have a trip and I'm going down, I just hit that tag or Mm -hmm. hit that location. And it's like, oh, yeah, awesome. I've, mm-hmm. I've got this one lunch meeting, so now I'll schedule these other, th- other things around it. So I guess the true method to the madness underneath all of that is I have a scary looking list. It's probably got like 378 different things on it. And it's also got a fun list, like a list that I call sort of play. Mm-hmm. That if I read about the Scottish Owl Museum that someday I want to check out, like that goes on the playlist and mm-hmm. it gets tagged to travel <laughs> so that I don't like I have a container for all the things that I, I want to do. But at the end of every day, I usually am looking at what needs to get done, because sometimes when I'm just putting dates on things, you know, I might look at tomorrow and there's 47 things on the list and that's it's not attainable. So Mm -hmm. then I have to do sort of the forced prioritization. Mm -hmm. But that usually happens the night before. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to think lots of other apps. I mean, and honestly, just like my biggest priorities I've realized over the years is I need to meditate every day. Mm -hmm. I need to move my body. I feel like this is something I worked a lot with with clients too, like not getting in a rut of, I must run, I must do this, but just kind of, I know I need to move my body for at least 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. There are certain activities that I love more than others, Mm -hmm. but just being open to like really feeling like where I am that day or looking at the weather. And it's like, what's the best thing for me to do to move my body? Mm -hmm. Right. So if like I have a day that's like a whole bunch of meetings and I'm running around yoga is probably going to be like the opposite energy I kind of need. If it's, you know, a day that I'm sitting and doing a lot of writing or thinking about things or problem solving, then going for a walk or run 
or doing something with more exertion is probably going to be the better offset. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the other thing is just really making a commitment to have those things happen on the regular. Mm -hmm. So moving, meditating, and then also really just trying to like practice gratitude too. Mm -hmm. just taking a moment. And what does that look like? Um, sometimes it's just updating a note in Evernote Mm -hmm. and like really writing it down. Mm -hmm. Other times it's just having a conversation with Craig. Like I've been really trying to be better about also like expressing gratitude to people in the moment, which Mm -hmm. I think I didn't grow up in a house where you talked a lot about emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes I wonder how my parents were my parents because I don't know where I got the emotional fluency from because it wasn't Mm. something I I sort of learned or I think I think I think some days it like terrifies my mom (laughs) so we just we don't speak the same language um sometimes the absence of something forces us to learn it probably probably that's a that's a very astute hypothesis. All right. We were on. <laughs> Kelly and, and I. weird transition. <laughs> Kelly and I were just locking eyes, taking it all in. Yeah. Sometimes the absence of something forces us to learn. And I think that's true because sometimes if you are in a, uh, if you're in a family that sort of has mediocre emotional, emotional skills, that's all you get. But when there's none at all, survival sometimes forces you to learn it and then you become an expert at it because that's what you have to do to navigate through the rest of the world. Yeah, I I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never really thought about it. I mean, I think a lot of the questions that you're asking me, I'm sort of floundering a little because they're often things that I haven't thought about or that maybe I can't see from the outside looking in. Right. Right. Like you can't see spinach when you can't see when you have spinach stuck in your teeth, teeth right. yourself. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's true because we, we started down this path on the topic of automation and using technology. And I think it's that's such a fluent language to you that as you're answering the questions, it's sort of the aside of, oh, yeah, and then I put it in Evernote. Oh, so yeah, I wanna, yeah, yeah. I want to come back to that a little bit because <laughs> yeah. tell us now specifically on Evernote, tell us how you're using that tool. So Evernote is the, the parking lot for me. I try not to have so many tools and I definitely tinker Mm -hmm. with different ones and try different things out. Like I will play around with things, but in terms of like the ones that I go back to a lot, remember the milk. I mean, I've been using pretty much since since I moved from having like the Palm Trio phone, which I still had when I first started dating Craig. And I think he was horrified, but I was like, this is a device that has my calendar, my email and my contacts all in this little brick. (laughs) Like that to me was like the greatest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Cause I was that geeky kid that had a Franklin planner all before Covey got up in that. Yep. So, I mean, (laughs) You know, I was, I was the weird kid by like junior high that had a Franklin planner Mm -hmm. and everything organized. And I was setting goals. We were soul sisters. Right. (laughs) And, but I was also the weird kid that was using 
the Schaefer calligraphy pen oh, yep. with flamingo pink ink or mm-hmm. peacock blue or I forget what the green was called, but these like electric yep. like eighties mm-hmm. and nineties colors. Yep. And like, yeah, I was like that weirdo just like doing copper plate, you know, but yep. to to write my goals <laughs> in a Franklin planner. I also well, we had the time to write our goals so fancy. Now just scribbled out or quick texted with no art, yeah, <laughs> no, no artistry. <laughs> I have I have doodles. That's something I've always gotten in trouble for professionally. Mm-hmm. I am a kinesthetic learner. Mm-hmm. Like even as we're sitting here, my hands are moving, my feet are moving a little mm-hmm. bit, but it's it's really hard for me to be focused and present and listening if something on me is not moving. Mm. And so what I found, I don't even know how I found it. I mean, maybe it just sort of naturally evolved, but we, I can go back to notebooks that I've had where I would doodle around the entire margin. Mm. Like I, and I have like certain patterns that I kind of can mindlessly do at this point. Mm -hmm. And like, that was like how I always, and still to this day, often steady myself in meetings Mm. or I take copious notes and Mm -hmm. it's not because I'm anally trying to like verbatim catch everything. It's the act of that writing keeps me really like locked in my chair and focused Mm -hmm. and present with people. Hmm. It's, I guess, like kind of a workaround to just keep me pinned down. All right. So, okay. So you got us till probably the afternoon. Now you're knocking out your to-do list. You're doing the work that you need to do. What do your evenings look like? Well, let's not forget. I also work in Pomodoro's. Like ever since I interviewed Barb Oakley, I think I flirted with them for a while and Uh I, or I would do longer periods where it's like, okay, every hour, hour and a half, I need Mm -hmm. to get up. Now I've been playing a little bit more with like 25 or I like double digits. So sometimes it's 33. So I'll do 33 minutes and then stretch for a few minutes, uh-huh. get up. There's usually a drink more water, go to the bathroom, <laughs> like that whole cycle mm-hmm. that usually happens. But I found that it's really helpful coming back to the earlier point, like just offsetting neuro fatigue just by mm. taking those breaks. Right. And I just feel like I've started coming at work fresher. So that sort of happens most of the day. And usually sometime in the afternoon, I try to break out and get outside and and do a walk Mm -hmm. and get some sunshine, especially in the winter months. Like I'm really starved for light. And then the end of the day is probably where I'm a little bit unravely because I think there, there comes that point. And because Craig and I don't have children yet, um, not successfully getting pregnant yet. I still have that luxury that, well, I can just work 20 more minutes or another Mm -hmm. hour and Mm -hmm. get this thing done Mm -hmm. instead of just having to pick it up half finished tomorrow. Like I can just stay in the mode and and make it happen. Yeah. I feel like I would love to improve that at some point and really have a a much harder stop. Mm. I think when I interviewed Sharon Rowe, I came away with just my hair blown back that like she has really like 80% of the time just said I'm out at 5 p.m. or 5.30 or whatever her designated time was that day and really stuck to it most of the time. I was like, whew. Yeah. There's a really great study 
article, I guess, about a study on, I think it was about the race to plant the flag on Antarctica. And there were two countries racing. See, now I'm going to be like you. I read all this interesting stuff. I can't remember any of the details. But what I do remember is that there we're were two really good at countries. The gist. <laughs> the gist we, of it is. We, we have the hook. We just Thank can't you. retell it. <laughs> uh, two countries were racing to plant their flag. And one of the teams, their method was, as long as it's good weather, we're going to go as long as we can, as fast as we can. And one of the teams said, we're going to go, I can't remember what it was, 10 or 20 miles or whatever, every day, except one full day of rest, I think. But six days a week, we're just going to do this much work. And the team that metered the work that they were doing and rested as a discipline made it there first with, of course, much less sickness. And I don't know if anybody died or whatever, but like the impacts to the team were much less. They're a much healthier team at the end. And they actually won the race to plant the flag. I can totally believe that. And I think I know that, I guess. It just doesn't feel like it in the moment ever. No. It always feels like racing and running as hard as you can is the best option. And really, like, you know, I say this sort of fishy... I say this sort of facetiously that I'm a recovering workaholic. Mm -hmm. Like I've never gone to workaholics anonymous, but I've definitely like picked up the book and flipped through it and seen some pretty gnarly questionnaires that Mm -hmm. like, you know, if the shoe fits, Mm -hmm. wear it. Mm -hmm. It's been a recovery process for me. So I think sometimes when I see myself work until eight o'clock instead of, seven because mm-hmm. I, I I also start a little bit later like mm-hmm. my chosen work day is more like the 10 to 6 or 7 mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've gotten used to just having client hours like mm-hmm. towards the, the tail end of the day I guess like sometimes I'm like well I used to be that asshat that was like either working 20 straight hours or I mean I've slept on conference room floors I've mm-hmm. I mean I remember one bankruptcy case I literally had worked like almost two days straight and they would do this thing at the firm where they would like send you back to the hotel around like three or four in the morning and it would be just enough time to get like a nap and change your clothes. Mm -hmm. So the client didn't know they were paying like, you know, $375 an hour to have you literally be operating like a drunk person at work. So I feel like coming growing up in a household with two i would say workaholic parents mm. modeling that behavior and then going into the type of consulting work that i did immediately after college mm-hmm. after working two jobs while i was in college mm-hmm. i'm like okay i'm at least operating at like a a, a pretty healthy standard now mm-hmm. like okay if i can cut it by by you know seven or eight and you know, I feel like there's a aim for seven, but maybe it's eight or eight thirty because right. I finished something up. Okay. You know, and that's not every day, but it's it's definitely a work in process for me to put it away. But the other thing is, I like a lot of the stuff that I do. Like, mm-hmm. I get to make a podcast. I get to, you know, you you mentioned how I invite people to this podcast and the process around it. Like getting to think about that and Mm -hmm. constantly tinkering and like trying to improve that experience so that by the time 
I get to these conversations with the podcast that that my guests aren't all frazzled. They weren't like, where was I supposed to call? Like, what was I supposed to do? Like, mm-hmm. they're ready. Like, they, right. it, it doesn't have to be a painful conversation. Like, I love cogitating on that stuff. I love working on that stuff. Um, uh, you know, I just... You like what you do. You're good at it. It shows. Why, thank you. It makes it enjoyable to participate in. Why, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you do get to shut it down at the end of the day, what does that look like? What do your evenings look like? Lots of reading. Lots of reading. Um, then sometimes it's usually Craig and I haggling over what to watch. So we're a one TV household up in mm-hmm. here. Um, so I think it's, you know, us looking at like, what's on our list? What do we want to learn? Mm -hmm. And I will typically push towards like docus, Mm -hmm. things like Queer Eye. People listening may not know this about me, but I am a total Marvel movie geek. Uh What's your favorite one? I would say, oh, this is t- the Craig and I debate. <laughs> you need more than a day to think about that. Question. Yeah, yeah, that might be the hardest <laughs> more than one yet. Ten seconds. Um, I would say, I mean, that's uh, hmm. Really, a big fan of Thor Ragnarok. Really, a huge fan of Black Panther. I mean, just top to bottom, Black Panther was so interesting in terms of this utopian community that they mm-hmm. kind of created, and the look, and the feel, and the costumes. Like, I, I feel like the Black Panther one is, is sort of meta. Like I enjoyed it while I was in it, but then also like you see the, the artistry and like the thought process behind it. And it was just so really well done. I haven't seen Captain Marvel yet. It opened while I was at South by Southwest. So I've been waiting until you are sitting with me. (laughs) I know. I know. What am I doing? I should be a Captain Marvel, but yeah, I think it's funny. That's the thing that, if I reference it, sometimes I get a lot of like really weird looks. Cause I think from some of my more creative, more highbrow friends, uh-huh. they're like, you know, I had one friend who he said to me, he's like, Oh, right. I always forget you love that Marvel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think like sometimes from the, the comic book friends, they're like, have you read the comic books? And I, I never, you're not the in for the comic books. No, I think I just never was really exposed to them when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I just feel like at this point, there would be so much for me to catch up on. Right. And it would be such a rabbit hole that like, I probably would do nothing else. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, otherwise, it's a lot of like, sometimes I'm just like watching TV and like mm-hmm. stretching out on the floor. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like body Relaxing. rolling and trying to take care of my body. Yep. I, I don't want to be infirm when I'm old. Yeah. I do want to be that, like that little old lady that's like out walking <laughs> still at, you know, yeah. 99 years old. Mm-hmm. I just met one of those yesterday. In fact, oh. wow. They just get me. Yeah. They just get me right in the, right in the feelies. Mm-hmm. All right. So speaking of Marvel, one of the questions on my list, if you had a superpower, what would it be? If I had a superpower, I'll tell you mine while you're thinking about it. Because it doesn't have to be a traditional one, like flying or whatever. 
I always think, you know, when you see if you're maybe you're out to dinner or something and you see a family with a kid that you can just tell is really smart and really talented and really going places. I always wish like I know I'll never lay eyes on that child again, but I wish I could just zoom into their future and see who they turn out to be. That's one superpower I wish Ooh, I had. That reminds me. Did you ever watch the X-Files? No, I didn't. This is almost like the opposite uh-huh. of it. That was another thing I geeked out about. My favorite episode of that entire show was like this weird episode and I forget who directed it. And it had the father from Everybody Loves Raymond mm-hmm. was like the the central character and it was called Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. And his, uh, I don't know if superpower is the best word, but he could see how everyone except him was going to die. So like everyone oh. that he met, he could see how they were going to die and, and what that looked like huh. at some point. And I always thought that. I'm not that, sure I would want to know that. I know it's almost like the opposite of your say, superpower. Is that a but superpower? It, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It's but, a curse, maybe. But you can't see your own. Right. So, um, superpower. So, this would only really benefit me. But if for anyone else listening who is not 4'11, who is of normal <laughs> stature, there has been a lot of time in my life spent to scaling up the counter or like hoisting a leg onto the counter and then like mm-hmm. vaulting myself up like a gymnast going over the vault mm-hmm. to get things on the second and third shelves of the cabinets. So it would be really great if I had kind of inspector gadget, like go, go gadget, super stretch arms or like, or calves, right? Oh, like, right. so that I could just like zoom up a little bit, <laughs> grab what I, you know, maybe they would be made right. of springs, but I could just sort of get a little extra bounce to go. like, at least just grab something yeah. and come back down. Yeah. That is a super weird annoyance in my <laughs> life that there are some days, especially if I'm like, doing a lot of cooking or cooking something unusual or having company Mm -hmm. that like all I do is like move my step stool around the kitchen. I mean, I feel like kitchens could probably be designed for that and better, but that's, man, that's going to send me down a rabbit hole later. Like I'm going to (laughs) wake up in the middle of the night and be like thinking about like how to redesign kitchens. There you go. You need a lazy Susan, but instead of spinning, horizontally or a floor that can lift up and down or yeah yeah we are gonna go in a rabbit hole right now <laughs> i know i'm talking to a we'll former solve, engineer right? we'll solve like, that dinner later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um one of the topics on our list was about transitions and i want to just talk a little bit about what happens to be on your dining room wall at the moment you have a mind map up and i know that you have been working through um what I called earlier an obsessive pursuit of self understanding. <laughs> I love that because I'm exactly the same. Um, and I love that you are trying to map out really what your core strengths are and how, and your, your strengths and your interests and how that serves people that you want to work with. Um, so tell us about that mind map and tell us what you've learned about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm at an interesting crossroads in life. And I think this is something that until the last, I would dare say, month or two, maybe since like, eh, maybe since the beginning of the year, I kind of tried to to put last year behind me and, and have a new outlook on this year. 
But the reality is I had been a health and lifestyle strategist for 10 years and I loved the work and I still love the work, the actual sessions. Anytime people come to me and plop a challenge, an obstacle, a broken situation, or just something that needs to be retooled into my lap and just said, okay, go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a lot of my coaching sessions were about and, and really witnessing people like getting to really be with people in a uniquely human, non-judgmental way and just meet people where they're at. I mean, it's as much of an exercise for them as it is for me. I mean, how many people get to practice being non-judgmental? Mm-hmm. How many people get to practice being unbiased? How many people get to practice really just being able to focus on someone else without agenda a lot of times? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe there are therapists that say like that's an agenda in and of itself, but I, I was really fortunate and it was where I felt most creatively in flow in life. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a songwriter, I'm not an artist in, in those ways, but seeing people and constraints and pieces and being able to connect them or disconnect them and reconnect them in ways was just amazing. And to be able to apply those skills, you know, in act one of my career was in trouble debt restructuring and bankruptcy. And then later in in that first decade, you know, coming into startups that were just, maybe they weren't broken, there just were no processes. Mm -hmm. So it was just the wild west and kind of carving infrastructure out of things. Um, the bankruptcy work was completely soul sucking mm-hmm. and depressing really mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. The entrepreneurial stuff was a lot more fun for me, but then getting to take those skills, apply them to my own health challenge. And then, you know, vital course started when, when people were kind of asking what, what did I do? Cause I mean, I think you know, definitely when I left PwC, I mean, I was probably like 135 pounds, Mm -hmm. 140 pounds. Like that doesn't sound like much weight to people listening, but on a four foot 11 frame. And I, I, yeah, I'm definitely like more of a gymnast frame. I Mm -hmm. mean, I did a lot of gymnastics growing up. Mm -hmm. I was overweight. Mm -hmm. I was just really unhealthy and my skin was gross and I was exhausted and tired and overweight and depressed, I think in a lot of ways. And so like, as I started problem solving on my own, like, okay, what are the factors I can change? Right? Like, I don't, I forget what the right engineering (laughs) term is, but it's like, okay, let me change nothing but sleep. What happens if I get this amount of sleep or this amount of sleep or this amount of sleep? Mm -hmm. And it would be, oh, I feel better. And then what if I take out dairy and or take out this or try this or eat more vegetables or like it took years. But then over that time, people were like, what have you done? Hmm. What did you do? And can, can you help me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I went back and, and did some, some study of, of coaching mm-hmm. as a, as a methodology and some stuff around functional nutrition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so getting to be able to apply those same skills, in this sort of second act of my career, but in a way that was so much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, I, I'm already like tearing up. <laughs> I'm just getting snapshots of, you know, 
clients I heard from a year or two or several years after working with them mm-hmm. and what they've done just, you know, cause I, I couldn't always see in the, the six to nine months that I often worked with clients, mm-hmm. I knew their trajectory was changing, right? Like right. we were uncovering things and they were shifting their trajectory, but in such a short time period, you can't see mm-hmm. like how much the of a impact. shift that was, mm-hmm. you know, but I've had clients like that came back, uh, you know, a couple years later and sent pictures of the house they bought or the partner they're with or mm-hmm. how, how they're feeling physically or insert any number of imaginable successes at mm-hmm. the time. So, I mean, that work was amazing, but I feel like after 10 years, there were some itches that needed to be scratched for me. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of successive moves. One where we temporarily, I thought we were going to live with my in-laws for four to six weeks and things with Craig's job shifted in a way that allowed us to then buy our home and land here in the Catskills like mm-hmm. we had hoped. But my in-laws were really gracious and let us live there while we were shopping for a house so we wouldn't have to get entangled in a lease and all that. Mm-hmm. But I went from thinking I was going to live somewhere that I had no expectation of living long-term for four to six weeks, and that was almost nine months later. Mm. And I felt like, one, for any business, that would be a, a momentum issue. Right just in terms of, of sales and marketing and the kind of outreach. I knew, you know, once I was sort of in the middle of that period, I knew most of my clients came to me through speaking events and just being out and about in the world. And I felt like, I was like, oh my God, I'm about to turn 40 and I'm living in my in-law's basement for a hot minute. These are not the things I want to like be out, (laughs) like making small talk about right Right. now. Um, And also just trying to buy a house in an area that you, we didn't live in. We were living a couple hours from Mm -hmm. where we're sitting right now. So that was just challenging in its own right. And I knew that kind of year on ice was going to hurt. And then also being new. And then I think when I got here, it's, it's the land of 10,000 coaches, I think. And I also think the perception and market around coaching has really shifted. And I had three calls with potential clients last year that just really gave me an an ick factor Hmm. when they expressed it in different ways and in ways more diplomatic than I'm probably going to say it right now. But the question or the apprehensions that they were having is, tell me how you're not going to screw me like the last coach I just paid all this money to. Mm. Tell me how you're going to get me the results. And one, that kind of broke my heart because what are people doing out there under the name of a coach? Mm -hmm. And also just that lack of trust when I only have potentially six to nine months to work with people, which sounds like a long time, but like, no, I mean, I've had clients that have, you know, I remember one client in particular who was like, I really want to work on digestion stuff. She knew that was part of my, my path to this work. And it was largely about constipation for her. And I remember asking, so (laughs) when was the last time 
that you remember not feeling constipated. And this is a middle-aged woman. And she said, when I was nine. Wow. And I said, then can we take the expectations that we're going to fix this in like four weeks to maybe at least four months because you've been dealing with this for four decades. Wow. And, you know, I just, I felt like those conversations really rocked me. It really made me think like, I don't know if I can keep doing this work. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, I felt like I had just moved to a place where we didn't know anybody. First time home, owners in a new place. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was almost going to have to start my business, not completely over, Mm -hmm. but really like dial way back to the basics and the beginning. And I I was looking at it and thinking it could take me years to recover. Mm -hmm. And especially here where there's, it's so saturated with coaches. Mm -hmm. Those calls really rocked me. I was like, I I, I don't know if I can throw any more energy into this. Right. There have got to be other things. And then I think also that made me look at like, what are the pieces of my work have I liked? So when, when you're referencing the mind map for people listening, I stripped the wallpaper in our dining room to discover Pepto-Bismol pink, horrid walls underneath the the wallpaper that was not so great either. And uh, the paper got discontinued. So I have four walls at my disposal for covering with post-its and ideas and just sort of cracking into a problem using kind of design thinking Mm -hmm. methodology. Mm -hmm. What was the question that you were posing to yourself? What skills did I pick up in each job that I've had Mm -hmm. that I would want to move forward, Mm -hmm. that I would want to do more of, that I would want people to know Mm -hmm. as a skill? That you enjoyed. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think there are a lot of skills that I have that mm-hmm. like, I mean, I was a CPA for 12 years, right? Like, right? like I yeah. could yeah. conceivably do that again, but I kind of hated it. Right. I kind of realized that was a career that I chose because my parents would sleep better at night knowing I had a responsible job mm-hmm. as a first generation college student. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always remember hearing my mom's voice, well, good or bad, you need an accountant. Right. Like even if the market's terrible, you'll still have a job. Wow. Um, so yeah, like I could do that. And I, I certainly call on that stuff occasionally, but it's, I, you know, I can't see myself going back and being a tax preparer (laughs) or like, or going into any sort of at least financial strategy Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. anymore. So yeah, that's the question I've been sort of unpacking because it, whew. It feels really weird to come out of the closet on this one, people. Yeah, I have finished act two of my career and I'm really, you know, this is a time of great possibility and excitement Mm -hmm. is how people are framing it for me. Mm -hmm. But it's also quite terrifying. Always. When you're not sure where you're going next. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, one thing that sort of drove the podcast is I was hoping that I would be fortunate enough to meet women who were comfortable talking about situations when the bow was not either neatly affixed nor tied. Mm -hmm. And now I find myself in that exact same position. I didn't expect that I would be one of them. But But I think it's true, too, that when you find that next 
path or when you're a little bit down the road on that next path, maybe you look back and you think, oh, this is where I was going all along, that you learned things and you were prepared to do things that you like, even as a coach, I'm sure a lot of your corporate career translated that you probably didn't realize all along that you would, if you decided in the beginning to be a coach, you maybe didn't even know that you needed a certain skill set that you were getting in the corporate world. And so I always just think it's beautiful to watch women, especially kind of at this time of life, really just strip off the expectations of who everybody said we were going to be or said we had to be and really figure out who we are and what we love. And I, can I say your age? Cause ours is yeah. the same. Oh, yeah. You just turned 42 this week, right? I did. And it is a beautiful period of time. I have so many friends right about this age that are really becoming who they always were meant to be, but we couldn't figure it out until we got here. Yeah. And I think I thought I was a lot closer. Like I think maybe smugly was like, all right, I found work that really feels great. I think there was just some parts of it or I just became disillusioned with it Mm -hmm. as, especially as the perception of coaches, it felt more professional when I got into it. And now it just kind of feels a little bit like a free for all. Or it's more about like the programs and the marketing more than the actual like meat of the work that you're doing with people. Mm -hmm. I think there's an element too of your personality and just the way you're wired to learn and to be curious. And I don't think it's surprising at all that you're on act three and there will probably be an act four and maybe an act five. Don't tell me that, not Well, I don't know... I feel like you're wrestling with a little bit of shame of, man, was that really the right thing to do in the first place? If now at the tail end, I feel a little bit of this ick about it. When I think the reality is you are a curious learner by nature and the act of learning it, the act of figuring it out, the act of aligning your own skill set with a piece of work, that's what you will always continuously do. And the content of the work will probably shift again in the future. And that doesn't mean that that, whatever that step was along the way was a bad choice. No, I think like it got me dialed in to a lot of the things that are interesting, Mm -hmm. right? Like we talked about sort of the onboarding for podcast guests, but that same joy and kind of baking that process with empathy and caring and Mm -hmm. respect you know, extended to onboarding a client and the Mm -hmm. sessions and the workflow, I would never have been able to touch that in any of the previous jobs that I've had. So I needed that piece to more fully illuminate this piece that I'm looking at now, because I'm I'm sort of right now where I'm at is in the, the thrashing stage. And I think through kind of dialing into these skill sets and how do they go together? Where do they contradict each other? Where do they fit? Where are their affinities? Mm -hmm. What's emerged from all of that is I don't know exactly, except I know that I am at this point where if you look at my life and my interest and where I'm thinking professionally is this Venn diagram of human-centered design or maybe even like user experience. Mm -hmm. And then this other circle of like mediation and facilitation. 
I do think like a piece that really dialed up for me back in my old PwC days, I loved those meetings where it's like you put all the people that were fighting in a bankruptcy case in a room. And like, I had a really good boss that was a really good facilitator and a really mm-hmm. good communicator at one point. And I just dig that kind of like, like we can hash shit out. Yeah. Like we can We're come, adults. we can talk about hard things. Yeah. We can talk <laughs> about hard things. We can live to tell about it. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that came up and I got that itch scratched through the coaching as well. We can talk about these difficult things. And then the last piece is really, I realized how much I just love being curious, right? Like a podcast is basically, I have a captive person (laughs) that has agreed to let me fling as many questions as I possibly can at them. It's pretty fun as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I find it pretty hard on this side of the mic. But I, you know, I feel like, like the, the thing that brings me so much joy is when someone's like, hey, can I ask you a weird question? And then insert some like wonky challenge or constraint somebody's got to get around. Like that kind of stuff just makes me like wag my tail and come alive. And so like I'm sitting here and I kind of have these like three tracks happening right now. And I'm not quite sure how they fit together. And so I am really, really fortunate that I have a husband who is like, don't just take the first job someone offers you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, really think about this and take a little time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm also really fortunate that I just go to, got to go to South by Southwest. You know, I, I was one of the mentors as part of the interactive track. But also I got to just go sit on a lot of cross-industry panels and ideas. And there was a lot of design-focused stuff. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of UX people in line around me or sitting next to me. And so I got to ask like a ton of questions. And I'm just getting to kind of Mm fact-find. Like I trust that this will come together. Mm -hmm. But right now the thrashing is happening. And I think... I will look back on this period much more fondly than I'm feeling about it Mm -hmm. right now as Mm -hmm. I'm in it. And also, it's challenging. There is a a lot of shame. I mean, I very publicly had a business. And, you know, for some pieces that that I can attribute to me and some pieces, I think, outside of my control Mm -hmm. in terms of the perception of what a, a coach is mm-hmm. or or what this work is or people's willingness to invest in themselves like I'm not the coach for people who say I want to make this change and then they really just want right. lip service and a pat on the back right. I'm not that person mm-hmm. like I'm not that person on any project team really right and so I think that's a, a tough thing to sell too and I think it's I had a lot of shame like when I decided to wind things down in the fall and just stop taking on new clients. Yeah, it um I don't do failure well. I I'm, just a, gonna, I'm an overachiever. I don't do failure well. I was just going to ask you you um you teared up 
you're visibly emotional. The first time you said that there was a lot of shame associated with winding down the business. And I was going to ask you, is it because it feels like failure? Oh, it feels like a huge steaming pile of failure. Why does it feel like failure and not like change? I think there were a lot of people around me and I think sometimes still around me that had no problem with telling me this was a stupid idea, right? Like be an accountant, have a responsible job, do the right thing. Don't take this chance. I think there's a lot of people that I feel like entrepreneurship as a whole is really triggering for people in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Cause if you decide I'm going to go try this thing and I'm going to try to make it. And I mean, for me, like, I feel like some of my friends were having babies around the time that I started vital core and partly with a mission to create a healthy, energized, assertive tribe of women and, Mm -hmm. and contribute to that in my own small ways. Mm And then it feels like a failed experiment. And I think I have people that were like, see, I told you so. And and there is some of that around me. And I think I hear those voices or I'm, or I'm sensitive to it right now. Mm-hmm. It, uh, less so, but I think in the initial couple months of, of mourning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like I just killed my baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting over here crossing my arms because I'm, get, I'm getting worked up at people know, who are suggesting know, she's that gonna, it's a failure I know, she's gonna, because I don't see it that way at all. And exactly the goal that you said that you have of creating a powerful tribe of amazing, interesting women, like, I think you have that. I, I mean, I say to you all the time about the group of women that you have harnessed maybe or yoked together through the podcast, we're following one another. We've learned about one another. We've been encouraged by one another. Just because something doesn't continue doesn't mean it was a failure. It certainly wasn't worthless and it certainly wasn't broken or catastrophic. It, it, I'm it loyal. means a lot to us. And it means, I think that if you could probably see the number of people that you have touched through this podcast, through the coaching business, through the building of tribe and relationships that you've done, I think you would be astounded. Um, and I don't see it as the end. I see it as only beginning, only the beginning of you being able to do that at a, I hate to use the word corporate, but a more structured level. And to, to take that same level of work into mediation, it gave you the territory to have the credibility to stand on, to go do that for people. I, I think you were doing, I think maybe you were doing work for people who were facing external conflict that they needed to address and you were doing the individual work with them. And now you're doing that corporate work, that communal work of helping groups of people, pairs of people, teams of people now address conflict. Um, and some of that conflict is like you said, in the, the user centered design, it's between the conflict in environment and the need for problem solving that, that now that's just the next natural level of your work. Yeah. It's definitely an evolution. What's most challenging. And I I think the thing that stuck out with with what you said, if I could see what I've done, mm-hmm. 
a lot of the work that I do and have done has been invisible, right? Like when you come into like a bankruptcy situation and everything is going wild, like all of that is a big multifaceted invisible process, right? That you're like re-engineering. I think like the work I was doing with clients was also a lot of just re-engineering habits, re-engineering infrastructure, looking at, at problem solving, you know, and I, I think, I know you're always fascinated by like how I like approach things. Cause I think you and I are very similar in where we get to, but we get to it in very different ways. I think of like all I do in problem solving is like, back up three steps, ask a question, back up three steps from there and ask another question, back up three. I just, I am driving a car in reverse at like 75 miles an hour in my head all the time. Mm -hmm. But so much of the work is invisible and has been, especially the coaching work. Like again, like not being able to see that trajectory. I know it's changing, but if a client doesn't come back to me. Sometimes I have no idea like what mm-hmm. happened or, you know, mm-hmm. I might see little snippets on Facebook here and there, things right. like that. But so much of what I create is almost like always in my rearview mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. Um, I'm, the bus is continuing to drive, but that's happening behind me almost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, maybe that's part of it. Like, mm-hmm. like not from like a, a, a self-esteem thing or like, I, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like sometimes I've struggled. Does, does the work I've done matter because no one sees it, right? Like a big part of why a lot of the women that chose me as a coach were they were paying for the discretion as much as the coaching. Right. Right. That was a big thing in my work. I mean, that that was my biggest marketing challenge. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients were amazing references. I never had to ask people like, hey, could I have this person talk to you? Mm-hmm. It was just the first time I asked, they were like, never ask me again, just connect me. Mm-hmm. But not refers, right? right? Like no one wanted anyone else to know that they had worked with me. And that's, it's hard for me to know, is it partly shame? Is it just a competitive advantage, right? I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's about them, but there have definitely been points where I'm like, does, does the work I create matter, right? Like if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? Right. I guess for a not so subtle person, so much of what I do is really subtle, And I I think what's interesting me now, right? Like as I'm trying to kind of just get more information on each of these fronts and continue practicing as a mediator and see Mm -hmm. how that fits and feels for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And how does that relate to facilitation and conflict resolution? And how does that fit with like all the years of coaching? And how does that fit with my love of just asking questions to like Mm -hmm. not only get to the bottom of things, but transform things Mm -hmm. like I know all of this is related and, and I trust that it will connect. It's just right now it's, mm-hmm. it feels like, but what do I do and how long can I continue 
to not get paid either. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I pay to make this podcast right right. now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to some potential sponsors Mm -hmm. and there are speaking opportunities that come out of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping to do more moderating panels and more like when someone needs a, a person to interview Mm -hmm. a featured guest at a, at an event. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be doing more of that kind of stuff, which I think can support the podcast But I also am someone who was a CPA for 12 years, not contributing financially right now, feels really disempowering. Mm -hmm. If you could choose anyone, what's your dream interview? I mean, you already got an astronaut. Is there anything left on the list? I know that was the thing. Totally jealous. (laughs) Totally jealous, by the way. You know, it was funny. That was like the profession I threw out like when I was like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. It was funny. Astronaut, air traffic controller. Mm -hmm. I have not found a female hostage negotiator. And that's one. Female hostage negotiator. If you are out there, we would like to hear from you. Yes. And I would like to sit in on that conversation, (laughs) please. Making that for the record. Make sure you get that in, Craig. <laughs> Stated. Ask for what you need. But yeah. As I'm, long as there's no demo on Target. <laughs> I was not volunteering for that part. Let me be clear. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there's never been one person. And the celebrity piece of it doesn't always interest me either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really I've become like a fascinating weirdo in terms of like how I consume things because everything now is like, I, so I keep a Trello board. Like the whole podcast is run in Trello. I love Trello. Trello really appeals to my sense of organization and Mm -hmm. being able to move things. The podcast is making me filter the world differently. And, and just so many women are doing such cool stuff. And, Craig is the producer of this podcast and he, I think probably still struggles to this day to understand the algorithm that I'm running Mm -hmm. when I'm like noticing women who could be potential podcast guests. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I, like we have tried, we've tried with post-its to get me to articulate it. We've done some affinity mapping. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say there's a lot of barrier breaking. There's a lot of people who are doing disruptive things women in unexpected careers, like those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I am like an absolute freak now that when I read a magazine, I'm watching the news. I mean, I recently released the episode with Diane Crump, who was the first professional jockey in the United States and the first woman to ride in the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. That literally came about because I was watching the Kentucky Derby. I noticed there were no women And that just sent me on like a Google search while I was like waiting for the race to start to go, how many women have run this? Who are they? Mm -hmm. Oh, Diane Crump. Huh. I wonder if I just track her down and email her. And I think like now it's like made this like bananas wish list of like women that is frighteningly long Mm -hmm. because there's just so much cool stuff that people are doing. Mm -hmm. And we get so hung up on like the people that we read about in like the newspaper, but they're like... So many women like all over the Hudson Valley I'm finding out are just doing cool shit. Yeah, absolutely. I have one more serious question, I think, before I'm going to ask you some lighter ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You touched on this a little bit 
indirectly without saying it out loud, but we talked about the shift in the career and some of the um, not-so-fun emotions that have come with that. Um, But one that I know you have expressed to me is loneliness and especially losing clients that you're close to in those regular connections and communication with them as you move on to the next thing and figuring out what that is. Um, Being more connected to like you were in the corporate world where you had people around you every day that you were going to work, physically going to work to work with people. Um, And also living somewhere new where you don't have roots or connections yet. Um, I think that you do a phenomenal job of building relationships. I felt like you were a friend the very first time we laid eyes on each other, but I know that even what two years later, here you are in the Catskills still feeling a little bit disconnected because it, it takes a long time to have history with people. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk about those feelings a little bit and, um, how, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about that because I think that that is a really common thing for women that we just aren't naming. And I you've think been pretty brave in saying it thing. out loud. Because I would, I would hear that expressed so much in the sessions or maybe not even expressed, but like the questions that people were bringing to me as a coach were ones that they didn't feel like they could talk to anyone else about. Mm-hmm. And then I think, you know, even just in my own life, like so often I get texts from friends and I understand that some of them have small children. And that is a huge complicating factor for women at certain mm-hmm. points of their right. life. But I think overall there is a a huge cultural shift to just a text is enough, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not even getting a phone calls anymore. Right. You know, I, I find it fascinating. My baby brother-in-law, there have been times where I've even, like, I emailed him and he's responded with a text. Like, that's just a thing. And, like, there's part of me that's like, Jesus, Carrie, you're turning into an old person already. (laughs) Like, these kids, they just text all the time. (laughs) I think I'd been feeling a lot of that. And it was really fascinating to be at South By recently. And there were so many panels on loneliness. Wow. I think I saw three but I think there were a couple more and there were, you know, different takes like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's South by Southwest. So I'm sure there was like AI and loneliness. And right. then, you know, one of the ones that I saw, it was a woman who's working on a book where she's talking about Gen Z and they're the sickest generation and the loneliness and are they connected and starting to dig into that. And, you know, some of the research that they were presenting was, I mean, I was like tearing up as a, mm. as I was hearing it because one, on an intellectual level, it's fascinating, like what, what's happening. And, mm-hmm. and for those of you listening, dig in. It's not just social media doing this. There's a lot of things that they're, they're hypothesizing right now. Mm-hmm. But also it brought me to tears in different points because I was like, oh, I know so deeply what that loneliness feels like. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... It always strikes me as like so interesting when people are like, you and Craig just look like you're living the life and like Mm. doing all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but I also haven't had a water cooler conversation in like 10 years, Mm -hmm. right? Like there is, for someone who is 55% extroverted, 
there is real value in that mm-hmm. kind of human connection that I never anticipated I I would miss and and crave hmm. so bad. And then obviously like just moving to a new area. I mean is enough of a blip for some people to right. have to start over. And you know, in Hurley, I mean I'm sure the people are nice, but they already have all known each other for mm-hmm. you know, 40 or 50 years in this neighborhood. They don't they're a little bit suspect of all of us new city folks moving right. up here it's challenging. But this question is something I I didn't expect I would unpack, but I I know, I think I've touched on it on the podcast, but I know you and I have talked about the Good Work Institute fellowship that Mm -hmm. I just finished up. Congratulations, by the way. Why, thank you. That was a wonderful, but as you've been a fellow, you know that Mm -hmm. these processes kind of they get you where you need to be, but they kind of can rip you up in the process. And this was especially tough because it was about self place and next Mm. and how those, those concepts intertwined and played out. And I think if you would ask me this question, you know, on loneliness or, or belonging, really right mm-hmm. to borrow from Brene Brown right who was also a speaker recently i would have probably answered this question so differently 5 months ago hmm. and i realized what has come up for me is i've never felt like i belonged anywhere and you know a big part was oh man we're really going to go into the weeds today so a big part of this this lack of belonging So basically, I was a 70s love child, which means my parents had an affair and I was born a couple years later. And, or I think a couple years later, I don't know. Nine months, probably. Yeah. Well, nine months. No, but I don't. I don't don't know how long they dated before I like popped along. Um, But yeah. And I had always had this story because it was Massachusetts. There was a reason why, obviously, no one wants an affair found out about right but there was a reason why people weren't supposed to know that my dad was my dad it's something my mom and I don't really talk about and I I kind of want to know more but I also there's a lot of details I don't want to know around that kind of I had remembered at some point I had heard that adultery was a felony in Massachusetts and so as part of this like inquiry and introspective work related to the fellowship around self place and next I did a little homework and apparently adultery is still a felony on the books in Massachusetts it's not highly prosecuted it's kind of like probably when the accountants get the mobster it's not what they were aiming for but like they could they could get you and my dad was a police officer And when I was born, obviously, like, (laughs) proof positive that an affair existed, there was a lot of talk. And, you know, I think because my dad was a public figure, like, Mm. and it was also a town that was predominantly Irish Catholic or French Catholic. Mm. There wasn't a whole lot of diversity where I grew up. And I think I never, ever fit in. I was always, I mean, I remember being like 16 or 17 years old because I I had my driver's license and waiting in line to get a bagel. And two old ladies were doing, 
like, you know, like the old lady whisper that's like right. at volume 11. Right. <laughs> and they were saying like, psh, 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 you know, that's, that's Louis Martin's daughter. Mm. No, no, the bastard one. And mm-hmm. I remember like hearing them talking about me and, you know, I, I called them out. Like I was a hothead by that age and, and called it out probably really inappropriately. And that just made me realize, like, I never really belonged. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, my town's not a fit for me. It's not my vibe. But like, I was literally a pariah. I mean, which was weird because then like in school and, you know, I was really popular and got the good grades and I had a lot of friends. But like, outside of my like age group, like people still gossip about that kind of shit to this day. I'm sure if I went home, someone from like those older generations that haven't died off yet would comment. It's really brought up a lot of the stuff for me around this, this idea of loneliness and how does it play out? And then I'm also seeing it socially everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty sensitive and I would dare say highly sensitive and a pretty empathetic person. So if I think back to like my own experience and how rotten that felt for me as like an individual in that situation, if other people just because of FOMO on Facebook or whatever other reasons are causing this like social fabric to just be unwinding at an unprecedented pace, Mm -hmm if people are feeling a fraction of that, like my heart f- feels so heavy for them. Mm. Right. Cause I know what that feels like. Right. I mean, I just happen to be in a cycle right now of that happening again. I mean, I think we all are at different points in our life, mm-hmm. but it's also making me again, try to be a little bit more strategic about what I do for work next. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, the two things where Craig has really pushed back or laid down any sort of Mm -hmm. law has really been don't just race into something just to get a paycheck. Right. Don't do that. Like don't take five years, but also like don't race into it. And the other place has been whatever you do next, whether that's take a job or be on a team or be a consultant, I can't do it alone. Right. He's like, you need to have a business partner or a team or something, but like where you get to interface with humans on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Yeah. (laughs) Who knew my dress was so unraveled? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I I use that acronym dress all the time with my Mm -hmm. clients and I didn't realize that, that my own, the social piece of my life was so atrophied. Yeah. Tell us what it stands for. Diet, rest, exercise, stress management, and social relationships. Thanks. (laughs) You love that, don't you? I do love it. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Well, that was very vulnerable and I think will resonate with a lot of people. So thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being willing to go there and to just name it. Like I said, I think it's so common and nobody wants to be the only one to say that out loud. So and who doesn't for, want to belong? Right? right. Right. And I think it, it takes intention and that's because it's not a topic of conversation and because it's not sort of socially acceptable to name, we forget how much we have to create that for one another 
and how much work it takes to create that for one another. And it's more than a text. Yeah. And I mean, it's also not the topic that you go to dinner with friends and you're like, I'm really lonely. I mean, you can feel the floor drop out if you say something like that. Right. And I know I've been guilty for not saying it, Mm -hmm. you know, or just like, yeah, yeah, I'm a little lonely right now. Or I'm feeling a little, I feel like I've been using the word isolated a lot. It feels Mm -hmm. less. Yeah. I feel a little isolated. Mm -hmm. It's not quite ideal at the moment mm-hmm. or I definitely I think, been guilty of sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. I wish at points where I felt really, really low that I had just come clean. Mm. But I think it's also like when you're a coach who's known for helping people get their shit together, it's not great for business. If you're like, <laughs> I'm really lonely. My shit's so not together yeah. behind the scenes. But it's true. It's true for all of us. And it's, yep. it, you know, that again, Brene Brown, it's that vulnerability that connects us. And that's what makes us feel like we belong. Yeah. You know, what has been super interesting. This is sort of related, mm-hmm. but I think where I've been bravely kind of pushing myself to get out mm-hmm. when you're ending a business, mm. right. Or changing it in a way that you're no longer going to offer this Mm -hmm. piece of you, whatever you want to call it, exiting a a core business. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all the feels, there's all the failure, there's the intellectual piece and then like the emotional piece, like there's all the stuff, but nothing is fucking harder than when you have to go to networking events because you want to be around people and you want to know people in your area. And the first question they ask is, so what do you do? And I think when I was really mourning it this fall, I sort of well, partially hid out, which just made the isolation worse and right. being in your head worse. Right. And then for the new year, I really was like, I am just going to be honest. And I really thought about it. I was like, how can I say this in a way that doesn't like just elicit everyone's pity, but like also owns it at the right. same time? Right. Right. Like I think how you language things can be really important. And so I thought about it. And in the last few months, I've been pushing myself to go out to places more. Mm -hmm. And I've also committed to answering the question honestly. And there was an event I was at recently. And then obviously I did it for nine days at South by, um, where everyone's just like, what do you do is the Mm -hmm. first question. And it's been really fascinating to see like the results where I've just said, well, I'm in the process of winding down a coaching practice after 10 years. And you could just see like the general reaction that I'm getting overwhelmingly is as soon as I say that it is like an invitation for people to drop their shoulders, Mm. like lose the like the janky like business posture and just kind of slip into like a more natural Mm. posture. And then also like, I feel like it's just like throwing the light on and saying like, it's okay that we're going to have a real conversation now. The level of connection and like conversation and just like pure joy, like from total strangers has been unparalleled. Wow. I was like, Fuck, I should have been doing that for like months. I would have felt so much better. That's really fascinating. 
Yeah. Be honest with people. Mm. Like really. And not that I was like this dirty liar, but like, right. you know, when it felt, yeah, when it felt a little more undecided, like, mm-hmm. is this the right move? Like, right. you know, I didn't want to have to walk back all those conversations. Right. right. So I would largely just try to change the topic when people pressed, but. <laughs> well, congratulations on being prepared to go to your next stage and for your integrity and your willingness to be vulnerable in sharing that. You are continuing to touch and change people's lives through that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. One thing that has been seriously on my mind that you have been teasing all of us on your social media is your new uniform. (laughs) Can you please tell us what that is? So we started this conversation on the fact that you are four feet, 11 inches tall. Yes. A packed powerhouse of a woman in a very small package that you can't reach your kitchen cabinets. That would be your superpower. (laughs) (laughs) And so that means that you often struggle to find clothing that fits you well, probably outside of the children's department, right? Yeah, it's funny. I still have, I wear them to paint at this point because I had a friend who worked in fashion and was like, if you, you cannot wear those in public, (laughs) but they're acid washed gap kids overalls that still fit me since like high school but i'm gonna come back around you just wait i think they probably are getting close like we're (laughs) we're getting closer the acid wash is coming right after the high-waisted jeans (laughs) oh god i know but yeah unfortunately they're covered in like every color paint they were splatter painted this living room slate gray or whatever it's called well you have teased us that so the you uniform. are now all in, that you have found a dressmaker, that you have established the design, I believe. The pattern have, has been made. The pattern has been made, but you have not told us for what. And we need to yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. So the, I guess because I've been thinking about this for like, Craig and I were talking about this and he distinctly remembers me talking about this. It just says like a loose idea back when we started dating. So... When I bump up against things that I don't like in life or that chafe or there's friction, I just think like, how can I lubricate this situation? And sometimes that's like just avoiding it or making it go away, or it's having to really think about a hack. And I feel like there have been women where, you know, probably like once a year in like the New York Times magazine, there's probably an article about some woman in New York who wears the same damn outfit every day. Like I think there was an article with a woman in advertising that did an experiment where I think she wore black tuxedo pants and Mm -hmm. just like a white shirt. And Mm -hmm. that was like her look. And, you know, I feel like there have been those little nudges along Mm -hmm. the way. But yeah, I hate shopping. I did not get the shopping gene. I don't enjoy shopping for clothes. I don't enjoy like pulling out outfits. Like I have a couple of friends, they have like themed looks like one friend and she names them. I love like, I need to know her. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, God, what was she one time? It was like Palm Springs milf or, you know, like, I mean like just like the names are ridiculous, but like I am completely fascinated by people who have that ability, but it is not me. And so over the years, there have been hacks, you know, sort of testing the waters where I decided 
I only wear, I think, what is it? Five colors. I wear black. I wear gray. I wear red. I wear purple and I wear hot pink. And so like, those are my colors. So I can walk into a store and if I open the door and 50% of the store is millennial pink and then a bunch of other colors that I'm not into, I can just bypass that whole store. Mm -hmm. Like I don't even need to know about it. So that was sort of like the first move. Like I'm just going to cull it all down. Mm -hmm. And I wear a lot of gray and black. And then I had a skirt that's just like an A-line skirt that I like. And... I had a client that was a tailor and I said, can I send you my skirt and can you make a copy of it or mm-hmm. make a pattern from it? Mm-hmm. She's like, send it my way. I'll see what I can do. And then sent me back the pattern. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to send you the pattern back. Now <laughs> I want you to make like five versions of this. And so I went and picked out fabric. And so I have five skirts that all go with basically a black top. So depending on the time of the year, I might have tights or leggings underneath, Mm -hmm. or I might just have to worry about a pair of black shoes and then just some sort of black top. Perfect. So that made it, that got easier. Mm -hmm. But I think somewhere along the way, I remember, remember that cartoon character, Nancy, with the little round like Uh cotton head of like hair and the bow? There was, I wish I could find it now, but it was, you know, I was probably using silly putty on it like a million (laughs) years ago. And she, in the comic strip, opened her closet and in the closet were all the same dresses Mm -hmm. and they were all like totally lined up in order and just, she just had to grab the next one and put that on. And that was like her uniform Mm -hmm. and something clicked, like all of that clicked together. And I was like, I just never want to have to decide anymore, like what to wear. Mm -hmm. I never want to have to feel the feelings that I feel when I pack where I feel completely inadequately dressed or I don't have what I need or that didn't match or I don't have the right outfit at this conference or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just was like, if I had a dress that I could dress up or down, with shoes or jewelry or right. Like there's a difference between wrapping up my hair in a bandana when it's hot Mm -hmm. versus like wearing proper earrings and Mm -hmm. things like that. But with small changes, I could just, I guess like kind of ride that statistical deviation of being appropriately dressed (laughs) a little bit closer. And so, yeah. So the dress is basically a, I've been told it's a shift, but there's been two years of pinning dresses in mm-hmm. in Pinterest, and finally I found a local seamstress, tailor, I forget what the right word, pattern maker, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I got an email that the pattern is ready, I just need Ooh. to, I need to get over there and check it out, but I'm hoping I can make a few custom things, mm-hmm. knowing me there will probably be some asymmetrical element of it because <laughs> that's just my jam yeah but yeah I'm hoping to have it maybe it's not all the exact exact same mm-hmm. like maybe there'll be different fabrics and and textures but largely a closet full of mostly the same black dress awesome. maybe some gray love it have you and I talked about the topic of decision fatigue no oh that's one of my favorite topics what? I can't believe we've never talked about that uh 
so quickly. It's that you have limited capacity to make decisions in a day, whether those are big, huge decisions about you're the president taking the country to war or what color shoes or earrings should I wear? Your brain is going to be worn out no matter what level the decision is. And so there's a really great article, Vanity Fair article about President Obama and how he narrowed down his wardrobe. So I think he only had gray suits and navy suits and every single tie and every single shirt and every single pair of shoes went with either one and all with each other so that yes. he took the, the question was, how do you manage all of the decisions and all the information that you need to take in during a day? And so his answer, and there's a lot of research on this, is to automate the small mm-hmm. things that really don't matter so that you're not using up your brain power on dumb things like which shoes to wear. I yes, everything about this, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I and they're decisions that I don't enjoy. So why am right. I going to funnel any of my if there is a limited capacity of brain power, why am I going to funnel it towards yeah. something I totally don't care about? Yeah. I would probably wear flannel pajamas everywhere if that was socially appropriate. (laughs) Understood. There's also a lot of research that shows that is why um, people tend to get depressed after they retire is because you think, now I'm retired, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, eat whenever I want, get up whenever I want. And then because you're using all of your brain capacity on like, what color socks should I wear today? What type of cereal should I have for breakfast? What do I feel like eating now? You're exhausted by noon and you haven't done anything productive and so you start to get depressed that you're not accomplishing anything because you're using the same amount of brain power that you used before to make executive level decisions and now you're applying <laughs> now you're like, it to meaningless things so like I what just, oatmeal topping should what I have? oatmeal topping because you think this big head to retirement is i can't wait i can do whatever i want whenever i want and it actually leads to depression i find the whole thing of it's one of my favorite topics it's fascinating this is so fascinating. But yeah, I just, I, I was like, I don't like it. Good. Like, how do I make this easy? And then when I realized like, so the, the skirts that I had made, mm-hmm. they are different patterns. Right. Right. Like, so they do look very different. I don't know. Maybe everyone that sees me is like talking behind my back and like, I think she's always wearing the same outfit, but no one has ever said it to me. So mm-hmm. who cares? Who cares? <laughs> and I think at this point, like I'd, if someone pointed out that I have the same dress on every day, I'd so, probably yes. be like, aren't I smart? You should <laughs> <Exactly>. too. <laughs> I love it. So on top of all of your nerdery, you also are an artisan. Let's talk about the 33K task list to wrap ah. up here for just a few oh, minutes. Oh, so this, this, I would say I'm a creator. The art is coming. The art is coming. But I don't know that I would ever call myself an artist. Like... Mm. That, I mean, that could be a two-hour conversation. And, you know, I feel like when I talk to friends who are artists, or, I mean, I guess it's split. Some of them are truly artists and are like, anyone can be an artist. That's my own stuff. Like I said, that could be like a, probably a three-day conversation. So I'm a creator. Yeah, I'm endlessly fascinated with ephemera. And I felt like I had this period a f- few years ago where I kept dreaming about like making something with a whole bunch of task lists Mm -hmm. and it was that kind of pull that like it just kept waking me up like I'd wake up every morning and in that floaty space before your alarm goes off Mm -hmm. or sometimes at like five in the morning I'd wake up and I'd be all jazzed like and I'd be like connecting pieces right like I felt like 
inspiration for me kind of feels like Lily Tomlin when she was working the the telephone operator booth, right. like where you're mm-hmm. just plugging stuff in and knocking the microphone stand around <laughs> like I just did. It's never like an image appears. It's, uh-huh. it's always like, it's just connected pieces. Yeah. And also like, like I really vibed with Austin Cleon's book. I feel like he's just been on my brain a lot, but like mm-hmm. steal like an artist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, everything most creative people do is like a bit of this and a piece of that and a dash of this yeah it's and so this inspiration just kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming and I was like I don't have time for this project like what I'm picturing is humongous I'm also completely unqualified for and where the fuck do you get like Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of task lists right like and uh so yeah I just finally I was like this is gonna keep waking me up at some stupid hour every morning if I don't at least start like writing this down and for like a few nights in a row like or a few mornings in a row it's just hemorrhaging out like probably like ages of like activity that was probably happening in the background somewhere just started coming out and I was like okay let me let me think about like you know if I wanted to at the most basic uninteresting version of this what if i just like wallpapered a room a studio mm-hmm. or a gallery space with all of these task lists right mm-hmm. like what if i did nothing even creative except just put them up yep i was like hmm well like what dimensions would i need to cover and then i was like well a lot of people write stuff on a post-it like the standard like three by three post-it mm-hmm. and i was like i don't know no one would give me like a big gallery, right? Like it's not like Mass Mocha is going to like be like, hey, you want to use our large gallery space? So like it would probably just be like a room-ish. And then I was like, hmm, maybe like the size of a semi-tractor trailer truck. And then I was just like, well, I wonder what the dimensions would be just to like trick one of those out. And that's also the same size as an RV. So if the project wanted to be like mobile, Right. Like, you know, that's probably like what I would need. So like, what would that square footage be? And I was like, well, it's probably going to take me like a bajillion years to collect the task lists. So yeah, maybe like, I don't know, 33,000. Because again, I love the double digits. Okay. So it was, I think it was like 32,000. If I was going to cover a semi-tractor trailer truck with like the standard yellow post-its, it was like going to be like 32,000, like, 800 and something so I just rounded up to 33 perfect all right but yeah so that's just been kind of playful thing that I I sort of monkey with Uh how's it going so far how many states do you have 27 states seven countries wow it's a hundred and think about 158 women because uh-huh. I so this is where Airtable comes in. Oh, because okay. this is yeah. actually what I wanted to use it for. Because I didn't, I don't know how to code for dat- databases, right. but I wanted some way to at least just keep track of who's sending them. Did I thank them? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then how many and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So on a really basic level, it's like name when I have it. A lot mm-hmm. come in anonymously. Um, city, state, country. Mm-hmm. And then when people are sending it, so I can kind of see a little bit of when do they roll in kind of thing. Okay, so Kara, what's the big vision for all the task lists? An art installation, ultimately. Mm -hmm. 
what that looks like, I'm still letting just be malleable at this point. Cause I think it's going to take me a long time. If I'm at roughly like 14 or 1500 task lists right now, it's probably going to take a bunch more years. But the thing that's driving me underneath this, like it's not just about the task list. I mean, I think I've heard women weaponize it Mm. for so long, right? Like the type A overachieving clients that I have had hundreds, if not thousands of private conversations with over a decade, I heard a lot about task lists. Mm. They keep people up at night. They impact our sense of self mm-hmm. and self-esteem. They are a metric of our achievement or lack of achievement. And I realized this was something that we all kind of share. So I'm really trying to use the task list as a way to sort of look at obligation and desire. What message are you trying to send through it? So there's part of me that is such a data-driven person. Right. Like, I mean, that's it's how I was trained to think at least. Uh I think I'm a people person that was trained to think about data. And also I started this project to kind of be the exact opposite of what I would normally do or how I would normally approach something. Uh So it feels really like screwball in this project when people ask questions like that, like I am intentionally being not strategic with it, Uh which and then maybe I am like maybe that strategy in its own right. Mm-hmm. But I think where do they come from? What do they say? And I think as more roll in, it's shifting like how I'm, I'm thinking about it. Right. Like now I'm wondering how could I scan these in a way that we could study mm-hmm. like in a more meaningful way. Right. Right. Like, I don't have those technical skills or capabilities or access to that kind of technology at this point. But it makes me wonder now, like, what if there was a way to dump all of at least the line items mm-hmm. into a database? And mm-hmm. I and I want to be respectful of people's privacy. So I feel like I have the Airtable that's like a list of names, but they're mm-hmm. not matched right. to the actual lists. I think anyone that I've bumped up against that's a marketer or any sort of like data person has been like, you've separated like the demographic information (laughs) from the lists. But I felt like I didn't want to spy on people in that way. Like, I feel like it's such a voyeur anyways, like they're sending me lists. I've actually been trying to intentionally, you know, once I've like sort of snapped a photo to share on Instagram so people can see some of the examples of what's coming in, like really try to like when they go up into the box upstairs, like kind of carve that out so that I can't identify whose is whose. Right. I just love, I love that you're making something that's typically desire art, something that we think of as pleasure out of people's obligation, trash and obligation. But I (laughs) like that is, do you know how hard it is to collect people's trash, by the way? Like when I went into this project thinking, 33,000. How hard is that going to be? Yeah, 33,000. That doesn't sound like a ridiculous amount considering there are a lot of women I know that generate a list a day, right? right. They sit down and do a little list every single day. Yeah. Getting people to, there's the people that like, there's such a decision tree like with this mm-hmm. where it's like, will I give some of my list 
or not, mm-hmm. right? Like there's people have all sorts of feels about that, right? Like I am convinced the bullet journalers will go to their deaths and people won't be able to like pry their bullet journal out of their cold <laughs> dead hands. So it's like, there's that level. And then there's like, because I'm collecting handwritten lists and trust me, I did, I think about like 10 mentor sessions at South by last year and had everyone just be like, this project is absolute crap if you don't accept electronic lists. And I was oh like, gosh. if I wanted like 95 snapshots of my remember the milk screen. Yeah, like, right. Who cares about that? Yeah. There's some energy that I think is imbued uh-huh. in that piece of paper. And so like, then there's that whole piece because you have to get someone to remember Mm-hmm. to not throw it away, to give it to you or mail it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of challenges to this project, which I thought would be like, if I tell people to keep their piece of trash, of course they'll keep it right. wrong. <laughs> Do you want multiple lists from the same person? Yeah, I happily will okay. take them. So if there's people listening and you've done it once, like me, we should all do it again and give you more. Or right? Yeah, and, okay. and I just tell people like, Put an envelope out, mm-hmm. like wherever you're typically working on your list, like, or most of the time, just address the envelope and leave it there. And when it's full, toss it in the mail. Yep. Right. And like, you don't have to do it forever, but like every now and again, just keep a stash. Yep. Um, I got a stash actually this week while we were gone. Mm-hmm. I came home and got like a pile of mail. It was crazy, but I've had pen pal in South Africa Oh, wow. Since I was in second grade. Uh-huh. And I knew she had been collecting them. And she was like, I'll get them to you at some point. It's like, no hurry. It's going to take me like 30 years at the run rate I'm going. And um, as kids, we used to make envelopes for each other out of magazine pages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids are weird. We're fascinated by foreign stuff, even if it's something like an empty candy bar wrapper. Right. And so like we would trade, like, here's the, here's the (laughs) Snickers, you know, I ate and she would send me like a bounty from, from South Africa. And, you know, we would just trade like that kind of crap all the time. And I have to say, and maybe it's because I was about to get my period, but I opened the envelope that was stuffed with task list from South Africa, which I was already like on the verge of tears already because it was this big fat it was this big fat pile of task list wrapped in a magazine, kind of like we used to send. Uh-huh. And when I opened it, she had put two empty candy bar wrappers. Oh, so I like love that. I literally just was like sitting at the table bawling. Oh, and I felt like there's these like funny moments uh-huh. like with these task lists that I wish I was better at, like social media and like that kind of story crafting or uh-huh. or marketing or whatever you want to call it, but. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll come out in the book someday. There you go. <laughs> I get a lot of, this sounds like post-secret. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. which, I, which I see the parallels, but yep. I don't know if a book on task lists will be as interesting to many people, but we'll... Oh, I bet it would be. But I'm yeah. in for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have two last questions for you. Oh my God. Well, maybe three. You're putting me through the paces. Well, they're pretty much the same thing as what you always close out with your guests, but I'm going to put a little twist on it. Oh, okay. Tell us something that you think that your listeners should subtract from their life. Guilt, games, and drama. Overachiever. That was three. 
<laughs> Good job. Guilt, no, I games just, and drama. Guilt, games, and drama. Like, I feel like this is something that I, I speak about a lot. Like, mm-hmm. for a long time, I've offered a talk and done a talk called Saying No Without Guilt, Games, and Drama. Mm-hmm. But I think it relates to more than just saying no to things. Mm-hmm. I think that just tends to be where people fuck it up more, right? right? Like we don't want to say no. So then we either like ghost or we, we make up some excuse and then don't show up or backpedal or like, like that kind of stuff can go haywire. But I think the more we can just say what we want and just remove or extract all that bullshit that mm-hmm. that exists between two people communicating it's so much better yep it, like I, I you know i think that's why what do i want to say here i have a, a few thoughts log jamming it's really important to me i, I think a lot of the things that people like either that came up in client sessions or that people come to me for advice with Mm -hmm. is because we don't want to say what we really want to say. And I think when you asked me that question right at the beginning about power, Mm -hmm. I think this question is making me reconnect to that a little bit. And it's like, if, if people want to know where my power gets generated, it's because I just say things to people. Mm -hmm. Now, don't think I'm on a pedestal as I say that. There are plenty of times that I fuck that all up mm-hmm. and I, it, it didn't come out right or I, I, I didn't handle the situation the way I wanted, but I think I'm getting better mm-hmm. as I get older mm-hmm. about just, does this need to be a conflicted situation? Does this need to be a tense conversation? Do we, do we both need to walk around with this resentment mm-hmm. about this conversation, how it mm-hmm. went? Now, like there are certain people that, especially in my family, that may always be, this will always be a challenge and every conversation will be an exercise to to practice this. But the more we can just get rid of the guilt games and drama, I mm-hmm. think, it, God, your life will go so much easier. You'll have right. so much more time and energy. Right. It's just, energy. Mm-hmm. it's better. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to let the listeners know about before we wrap Oh my God, this has been a, I feel really wrung out people. (laughs) (laughs) I feel really wrung out. And the gamut of emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I read Kelly's questions earlier today, there was a like moment of, this is going to be, do I bullshit or do I be really honest? And I I think I, I chose to be pretty honest and, I don't know. Is there anything else I want people to know? I'm tearing up. I'm not sure why. I guess just expressing that kind of love to a bunch of, I say strangers, but I'm finding more and more like when I go places like, oh, you have that podcast because someone that I know told me about it. Mm -hmm. So it's spreading. So it's a little bit weird, but, um, and awesome, I -hmm. guess that it is spreading. Yeah. I, I really enjoy making these conversations. I hope they land on people. Mm -hmm. I hope they're helpful. I mean, like I know there's a very, I mean, I can probably count maybe on like four hands (laughs) or two hands and two feet, 
like where people have actually kind of come full circuit and shared something that they took from a particular podcast episode and applied in a meaningful way for them. Mm. And, you know, that's huge. But I often am in a windowless, ugly ass 1957 (laughs) sewing room by myself making this virtually with with a guest, you know, parked somewhere else in the world and then recording these like intros and outros and things like that by myself. So... Yeah, it's a it's a really str- strange sensation being on the other side of the table, but I I appreciate this opportunity. I can't think of anyone who I would trust more in this situation to ask smart questions and and thoughtful questions and and guest host in in my little living room that I created. (laughs) Well, it has been a delight. You are delightful. We are all so grateful for your work. Thank you for naming things that are difficult. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for doing your work so well and so graciously and with such hospitality. We are all better for it. I am honored to be your friend. I'm honored to have gotten to interview you. And thank you for having me here today with you, Kara. Thank you so much, Kelly. This is Kara. That was a workout of a conversation. I just want to say thank you for making it to the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. For those of you who come back, again and again and again. Thank you for your support. I know I get emails periodically. I want to give a shout out to women like Sue and Kariana and Denise who have taken time to drop me a note and and share their thoughts about this podcast or really love up some of the guests. It's so great to be able to make this for almost three years now. And before I forget... Kelly and I mentioned a ton of resources in this episode. They all live in the show notes over at levitalcoresalon.com. You'll be able to find all the links that we mentioned, links to past episodes with Kelly, all sorts of good stuff, all in one place, so you don't have to be like scrambling around for it. And if you dig this podcast, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you prefer to have new podcast episodes emailed to you twice a month, you can also sign up for the newsletter at that same website. So le, L-E, vital, core, C-O-R-P-S, salon.com. I also want to quickly thank my amazing team, husband and co-producer Craig Snyder, who makes this show easy on the ears, Darlene Victoria, who helps me dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure all the links work and all the technical detailed stuff behind the scenes that happens. I also want to thank Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone and the High Dials for the excellent theme music. Until next time, don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.